Our family theme this morning in our Sunday School Hour is Receiving God's Word. Our objective is that we would do what is necessary uh, to grow in God's Word, but also to put it in practice. Uh, one of the first verses I memorized as a young a Christian came from Peter's epistle, where Peter said, Desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you might grow thereby. And that ought, ought to be the desire of our heart. We've got our study text this morning is Matthew chapter 13, so you can turn your Bibles to there. We've got two key truths. Number one, God's truth is revealed to those willing to accept it and to practice it. Number two, those who accept and practice God's word bear fruit. In our connect this morning, uh, our question is, uh, if anyone here has ever done any gardening or raised crops, Okay, uh, I usually wait on Brother Paul to bring my cucumbers in. Oh, we got them planted yet this year, Paul? Okay, good. All right, we're on your way. And tomatoes, don't forget about tomatoes, okay? So, so somebody help me out here this morning. Now, I have done a little bit of farming. I grew up in the country, uh, worked on several farms growing up as a teenager. Uh, even once we got married uh, for the first few months, I had a, a farmer friend of mine wanted me to work for him. I worked third shift at a factory. And I get off at 7 o'clock in the morning. He wanted me to come out and work for him. And that, that wasn't so easy sometimes. And uh, this was back in the days when you had to cultivate your crops before all the weed killers came out. And there were some mornings about 11 o'clock, I'd forget where I was at. And uh, he, he sent me home because he looked behind me. And whatever I was cultivating, I wasn't getting the weeds. I was getting the crops. So somebody help me out here. What do you, does the soil make a difference? Say what, Cheryl? Why do you say that? <laughs> okay, not going to grow much. Paul, what about you? How do, what do you do to your garden every year to get it ready? You what? Your garden. How, what do you do to it to get it ready? Okay. Okay. What about fertilizer? You know, it's amazing to me how how farming has changed through the years. Uh, my dad, you before he got to where he couldn't walk very well, every year he and his buddy would go up to, near London, Ohio. They have a big farm show up there. They have all the latest innovation, the combines, and and he said one day he was looking at this big combine. And, of course, there's, there's people there wanting to sell it to you. And uh, the salesman came to my dad and said, are you interested? And my dad said, sir, I couldn't even turn this combine around in my field because his field wasn't quite that big, you know. Uh, now they've got GPS on them. Uh, you know, uh, back when I was doing cultivating or even uh, planting, we always picked an object at the other end of the field, whether it be a post or a tree, and we put our eye on that, and that's how we made the row halfway straight. Now they don't have to worry about it. And and years ago, uh, whether it be corn or soybeans that we grew in Illinois, sometimes we would grow wheat, we would grow winter wheat. And, uh, you know, some of the things that you 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 planted, uh, the normal uh, yield might have been 30, 40, 60 bushels an acre. Now that's unheard of. It's hundreds of bushels an acre because farming has gotten a lot better. 
And I, I remember some years ago meeting someone that I did, did some work for, and their son uh, was going to Ohio State University to learn about farming. And I thought, what do you need college for, right? But, of course, he wasn't. they were talking about a different thing. Cheryl? Ah. Exactly right. But and that's important because if the soil is not good, guess what? You can pick the best seeds. But the soil is not good, those seeds will not germinate correctly and they will not grow. So Let's take and apply that because we know the condition of the soil has a lot to do with the yield of the crop. And so today, our goal is to look at the fact how we need receptive hearts if we are going to produce good fruit in our life. Our first key truth this morning is found in the first 17 verses. And God's truth is revealed, now notice this, to those willing to accept it. Let's read the first 17 verses, Matthew 13. Them still talk to him by day and say, 
Thank you, Dan. I noticed that as you read from verse 13 to 17, uh, actually verse 16, it could be quite a tongue twister there. And we'll talk a little bit about that style of writing in just a moment. But Matthew tells us it was that same day. And my, what a day it had been. Uh, Jesus had been accused that day of being under Satan's power. He had turned down the request by the religious leaders to do a miracle. He's there at the house at Capernaum, and uh, his family come to get him, thinking he's gone off on the deep end. And so he's dealt with all of this conflict, and he decides, you know what, it's time to leave the house and go to the seaside. Now, by the way, this would have been the shore of the Sea of Galilee. But notice what happened in verse 2. Even though he left the house, what happened? The crowd followed him. And again, not that he was trying to get away from the crowd, but certainly uh, to a place where he could do some teaching there. And the Bible says that he went to that ship, and of course they didn't have sound systems back then. That would be a better way to for his voice to carry for those to hear his teaching. And he taught the multitude on the shore. And the Bible says he began to speak to them in parables. What in the world is a parable? What is a parable? I told you, you can't all talk at one time. Okay, that's, that's a, yeah, that's a good definition. Okay. Now, would you agree that a parable uses a familiar scene to express a spiritual truth? And it compares something unfamiliar with something familiar. But a parable also compels the listener to discover the truth, but at the same time it conceals the truth to those who are lazy or too stubborn to hear the truth. And so, as we think about the parables, the insights Christ was teaching, they were hidden from those who refused to seek the truth and from those who would not take the time to come back and ask, what are you trying to say? But here's what's interesting. To those who were honestly seeking, God would make the truth clear. And that's the whole idea of a parable. Now, the the danger here is to read too much into a parable. And I want to remind you again, unless the Bible explicitly says so in, in certain passages, whether it be a parable or any teaching, there is only one meaning. Okay? Cannot be two. And... As we study the scriptures, I'm going to be careful here. I'm going to say it to you straight, though. What you think it says doesn't matter. Why would I say that? Say it again, Cheryl. Yeah, what does it say? Not what I think it should say. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. Now, again, a parable will have only one meaning. 
unless otherwise specified. So in this parable, we have a farmer. And in this context, the farmer is Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, I think I got the verse here somewhere. Uh, no, Matthew 14, I believe it is. But anyway, Jesus said, I sow the good seed. Okay? So in this case, in this particular time, he is the farmer. What is this farmer doing? Say it again, Dan. Okay. What's he use to plant it with? Seed. Okay, there you go. So he has four different kinds of seed. Are you paying attention or not? One kind of seed. But what four different kinds of what? Soil. Okay. Four different kinds of soil. So the farmer represents Jesus. In this parable, the soil at this point represents Israel. And the seed represents the kingdom of God. Okay? And what we're going to find about this parable, it shows a contrast between the result of either accepting or rejecting the gospel message. The message is the same. Is that not true? How many saviors are there? One. How many messages are there? Just one. Okay. Now, unless I miss my guess, most of you have read this story before. Maybe you've read Mark's account, one of my favorite accounts of this. But the parable we call the parable of the sower. But imagine you're reading it for the first time. Reading it for the first time. And if we're honest, we're going to struggle to find out exactly what the point is. Now, we know what a farmer is. Isn't that true? We know what seed is, and we know what soil is. But again, it's interesting, even the disciples didn't fully understand. In fact, what did they ask question? What did they ask Jesus about his method of teaching? What did he ask? Yeah. Why are you teaching in parables? Implying what? Yeah. Give it to us straight. Why are you teaching in parables? <laughs> Interesting, I think. Now, again, they came to him afterwards and asked him that, separately to inquire about that. And I think we can see here, even the disciples struggled with comprehending what Jesus was saying. I mean, they, they understood a farmer and soil and so on. They understood all that, but what was he trying to say? And interesting that he said was, I use that method because of what's required to properly understand it. And so he explains to them, the content of what I'm teaching is not what's important here. It's how well the audience receives what I'm saying. That's the key. How ready are they to hear what I am saying? 
And Jesus tells the disciples here, you have been given the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom. God's revealed them to you. But he also says, much of that knowledge has been withheld from the crowd that was hearing his words. But again, I add, why? What's going on here? What made his disciples receive what he was saying? And what kept others from receiving it? Now, hold on for a minute. Just because the disciples didn't quite understand, did that mean they were rejecting what he said? No. They just, that's right, Dan. They just couldn't understand it. They weren't rejecting it. Help us to understand it. And that's exactly what verse 12 talks about. Because they already had what the others lacked. They saw something and they heard something that the others failed to see and hear. Now again, they didn't understand all of it, but they understood that this is Christ. He is the Messiah. And the answer to their question had everything to do with how a, they, a person would approach Jesus Christ, the living word. And Jesus said, you have been given the mysteries of the kingdom because you were willing to humble yourself and receive them. Now let's camp here for a moment. How long had the Jews been waiting for a Messiah? Not always, all their lives, throughout their history. They knew Messiah was coming. So did God send a Messiah? Yes. But what was, what was the problem? They didn't recognize him. You know why, Dan? They didn't want to. They'd already conjured up in their mind what Messiah would be like. When he comes, here's what he'll be like. And the problem was he didn't come like they thought. So now they said, you know what? He's not the one. He is not the one. So the disciples humbled themselves and were willing to receive even what they didn't understand. But the rest of the crowd, for the most part, were not willing to receive it. So their secret was withheld from them. Isn't it amazing? Say it one more time, Cheryl. Yes. And they didn't see it. They didn't see it. It's been about three years ago now. John MacArthur, or actually it was, uh, my mind was... They told me when you get old, two things go. Your memory. What was that second one? Um, the Jewish fella. Uh, what's his name? Pam, you know what I'm talking about. He's on the news all day. He's on the Daily Wire. 
Yes, Ben Shapiro, yes. He had uh, John MacArthur on his program one day. Of course, Ben Shapiro is, a, is an Orthodox Jew. He's a practicing Jew. He wears the, the cap and all that. He believes in God, but he certainly don't believe Christ the Messiah. And John MacArthur, from the book of Isaiah, Cheryl, laid out the best invitation to Christ I've ever heard anybody give. And he, I, I, I watched the interview, and I could see the look on Shapiro's face. He couldn't deny it, but he didn't want to believe it. And Cheryl, you're right. How could they not see? And what's interesting that you brought that up, especially Isaiah, Dan, when you read a moment ago in verses 13 through 17, kind of a tongue twister, repeating of words there. And that's what biblical scholars, it's a, it's a biblical literary form called uh, chiasm. And it's where the Bible takes a series of statements or ideas and gives them one way and then repeats them again, reverse order. And uh, he talks about seeing with your eyes, hearing with your ears. And then he says, you didn't hear with your ears and you didn't see with your eyes. Now, he, of course, I hear what's interesting. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually Jesus speaking here, and he quotes from Isaiah. Again, verifying that Jesus is rooted in prophecy. And God told Isaiah, you're going to preach. And they've got eyes to see, but they don't see. You're going to preach, and they've got ears to hear, but they don't hear. And God says, because they don't want to hear, because they don't want to see, I'm going to dull their hearing and their seeing, and they'll not be able to come. And I want to tell you something, folks. I think America is there today. I think America has heard the gospel over and over again, had chance after chance. And I'm not saying it's not being preached. It's going to be preached. It still is. But I think the day of our, of our revival is almost over with. God has given us. I hope I'm wrong about that. I do hope I am wrong. And so as Christ is speaking here, he's telling the disciples, hey, for the most part, my people for centuries, for centuries have refused to hear God's warning. They've refused to hear the word of God. They have even killed the prophets. You remember the parable Jesus gave about the farmer, the guy who owned a vineyard, not next to him, but he went away, he left somebody in charge, and he sent some of his helpers back to get the crops, and one by one they killed those prop, those those helpers. And then finally, said, you know what, I'll send my son. Surely they'll honor him. What did they do to the son? They killed him. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Jews. In fact, after the parable was over, the Jews were infuriated because they realized, you know what? He's talking about us. Jesus is talking about us. So the problem was, the Messiah wasn't what they expected. They had their own mind made up. They had a divide, they devised a God to their own liking. And how many know that's a detrimental thing to do? Detrimental. So the disciples were more willing and they humbly set aside their own expectation about the Messiah. And they were willing to see Jesus for who he really was. And my friend, until we're willing to see Christ that way, we're going to miss it. 
we are going to miss it. And so they were willing to set aside their own desires. And they were willing to follow what what Jesus said to them. Now, again, Messiah had come. The kingdom of God was here. John the Baptist preached the kingdom of God is near. Christ is the kingdom of God. But the problem was, what Jesus came to do didn't fit the expectations of most Jews. When he came into the world during that time, what did they expect him to do? Deliver them from Roman tyranny. Deliver them from that suppression, if you will. Now the problem is, he did come to deliver, but to a better kingdom. Jesus said his kingdom was not of uh, this world. Pastor? Yes. Weren't the Jews looking for a different type of Messiah? Oh, absolutely. They wanted a king that was going to get them away from Rome. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. That's exactly what they were looking for. No, they didn't. They didn't, they didn't want that baby in a manger. They wanted a king that would take away and, re, and deliver them. They just shut right down. Absolutely. That's exactly what happened. He wasn't what they expected. Wow. In fact, he wasn't what they wanted to see. And he didn't say what they wanted to hear. And so they rejected him. Now, here's the key, folks, and it's very important. And I think it helps us to understand, at least it helped me this week, to understand better what's going on in our world today. God's Word will challenge us. God's Word will challenge our understanding. But God's Word will also cause, also cause you and I to change to fit His nature. Now, let, let that kind of soak in for a moment. Now remember, we're created in that image. And if we are unwilling and we refuse to allow God to change our nature, we refuse to allow God to reshape us as He sees fits, then what happens is we will ultimately reshape God. We will reshape His truth. We will reshape the standards of life to fit our desires. And by the way, that's exactly how something extremely dangerous is embraced. When you try to reshape God to fit your desires. So if we are going to receive the word of God like the disciples did, we have to humbly... Humbly bring ourselves, forget about our preconceived ideas, and also understand, and this is dangerous for you and I this morning, we have to look and listen for what is there, not what is not there. What does God's Word say? Not what does it mean to you. That's subjective. What does God's word say? So Jesus explains to the disciples, here's why I use parables. And we're going to pick up in a moment in the last part of our chapter. 
He goes on to explain the meaning of the parable, the sower, in detail. But understand, God's word means what God intended for it to mean. Not what I think it means, what God intended for it to mean. And like the disciples, I don't care how long you've been saved, we need God's help in understanding what God's word means. Lord, what are you saying in this text? But you can also take this to the bank. The meaning will always be consistent with God's nature. God never goes against his nature. His word never goes against his nature. But the meaning will also be consistent as revealed through the rest of the word. You don't need to pick one verse here and one verse there. God's word fits together. And the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God itself. I'll find myself more and more in my daily Bible reading. I come upon something and I thought, what does that mean? And because I'm on my computer and I switch to my, my commentaries, I begin reading, looking for ideas. And I spend 10 minutes doing that and then go back to read the next verse and the next verse explains it. And I wasted 10 minutes. <laughs> Now, I'm, I use commentary. There's nothing wrong with that. But the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God itself. So, when we think about this, and like I said, it doesn't, it, we don't study God's Word asking, what does it mean to me? We study God's Word and say, God, what are you saying here? And whether it's a parable or any part of God's Word, it's not open to interpretation, according to our will. And so the disciples said, Lord, we need your help. We need you to help us understand this. And my friend, so do you and I. Let's apply it. Often, the Bible will not make sense to those who are not willing to accept it and obey it. We've got to be willing to accept it. And obey the word of God. And we have to be willing to allow God to reshape us. Not as we see fit, but as God sees fit. Now, let me ask, let's, let's take at least one question this morning. And uh, What are some of the obstacles that might prevent us from hearing what God is trying to tell us? What are some things that might prevent us from hearing what God is trying to tell us in his word? No, Dan, we wouldn't do that. Sure we do. And, boy, Lord, you know I've been guilty of this. I go to God's word to prove that what I'm thinking is what? Is right. Instead of saying, God, what does your word say about this? So that's one reason. But what if we're reading something and it's not really our preference? Say it again. We stand to, yes. Do we have that right? No. Well, no, we can if we want to, of course. God give us a free will. But we tend to do that. 
So how, how can we tell? Another question. How can we tell whether or not someone has been receptive to God's word? Can we tell that? What do you mean by that? Oh, yeah, isn't that true? Isn't that true? And they're excited. I've told you before, I remember when I first started reading God's Word, I'd call my pastor. And I thought I was telling him something he didn't know. Well, I, you know, of course, it kind of disappointed me. Not really, but I mean, I thought, wow, he knew this already. But I, I, I can only imagine how excited he must have been to know that at least I was looking into the Word of God. So the first key truth is this. God's truth is revealed to those who are willing to accept it and to those who are willing to practice it. Number two. Those who accept and practice God's word will bear fruit. Let's read verses 18 through 23, please. Thank you, Dan. Now, again, Christ is explaining the parable. And in the context of this story, <coughs> certainly Jesus is the sower. But by extension, it would include anyone after him who, who would teach or share the word of God. Okay? So we have the seed. I mean, we have the sower. And again, here in, our, in the context of this, it is Jesus. But it also extends to anyone who shares the word of God, which could be who? Us, right? Not just preachers, not just teachers, when you share God's word. So, we see the sower. What is the seed? The word of God. And you'll notice there are four different kinds of soil listed here in Matthew. Anybody tell me what they are? And we see one in verse 19. What is it? The wayside. Now, again, farming has changed a lot since I was a teenager. But when I helped my neighbor farm, he, I don't know, he had a few acres, maybe, I don't know, if he had 100 acres or not, wasn't a real big farm. And he was a German, uh, him and his wife even spoke German. And the boy, she could cook. Oh, my goodness. Everything was homemade. Even her ketchup was homemade. And we couldn't wait till lunch. But every day at lunch, and when they're talking, all of a sudden they kick into German. And I just knew they were talking about me. Now, again, they weren't. But we go to those fields, 
And every field had a little path you drove your tractor in to get into it. That would be the wayside. And I don't know how many years he had farmed before I met him, but that wayside was packed down. And any seed that fell on it, what would happen to it? Yeah, I just lay there. Yeah, that's the wayside, okay? And, of course, uh, Mark talked about the birds coming along. Well, of course, Satan's the one. He comes and he, he, sta- he snatches that away. That seed can't go in. And, by the way, God's Word's not made just to sit on you. It's to made to penetrate your life. Unless we allow the Word of God to penetrate our lives, it has no value. And Satan will come along and steal that. And by the way, let me, let me challenge you, for those who are involved in daily Bible reading, let me challenge you to take what you read, at least part of it, and kind of chew on the rest of the day. All right? Kind of reflect on what God said to you uh, during that time. Adrian Rogers said he always had a pen, a pencil, and a piece of paper or a notebook as he read God's Word. And he said, that way I knew I could write down and I wouldn't forget it. And so, but maybe a good thing to do. So we have the wayside. But the second type of ground, soil, was in verse 20. What was that? Okay, stony places. Now, it, it wouldn't be hard on top. That'd be dirt on top. Uh, but, uh, Israel, that part of the world, is, was known, I guess still is today, uh, for actually, uh, shelves of rock not very deep into the soil. And so you might have dirt on top, and it looks good, but the dirt's not very deep. There's hard rock below that. And so the seed goes in that, that, that dirt, and it germinates very quickly. What happens? What's important about root systems? Absolutely. If you don't have a root, guess what? You won't have life long, okay? So that's that's the stony places. Uh, no root in itself, Jesus said. He lasts for a while. But all of a sudden, here comes tribulation. Here comes persecution uh, because of the word. And says he's offended. That means he stumbles. So we have the wayside. We have the stony places. And then in verse uh, 22, we have what kind of ground? Thorny ground, okay? Thorny uh, ground, wow. Do you intentionally go out and sow seed among thorns and, and weeds? No. You, and of course, normally you cultivate or at least uh, do something to your soil to get rid of them. Nowadays they spray weed killer, but nonetheless, you get rid of them. And Jesus says that uh, what happens there, he talks about... Uh, the cares of this world. And how many know we all come to Christ with cares of the world? And we've got to be careful about that. But Jesus said if we're not careful, that, that thorny ground, that seed that's sown among thorns, they hear the word, but before long the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches come along and they choke the life. They choke the word. And then that person becomes unfruitful. Yes. Yes. 
That's true. And that's so true. So I guess with what Pam said there, aren't you glad that none of us have any cares? Huh? We know that's not true. We all do. But here's what we've got to understand, folks. Our God is more important than our worries. He's more important than anything else in our lives. And we all have cares. We all have worries. But he also throws in the deceitfulness of riches. You know, Paul added to that when he, when he wrote to Timothy. He didn't just talk about the rich. He talked about those who wanted to be rich. Isn't that true? So we've got to guard against that. Now, there has to be a balance. I realize that. But our trust has got to be in God. And here's what we have to understand. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Not might have. You will have. And so the decision we have to make The realization we have to come to is, how valuable is our walk with God? How valuable is our relationship to God? No matter how much life hurts, no matter how deep the thorns prick us, Our walk with God is the most valuable thing. Back in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about the cares of this world. He said, those are the things the unsaved worry about. He said, there's not one sparrow that falls to the ground that I don't know about. I even know the number of hairs on your head. But he also said, Seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Does that mean God will always give us what we want? Absolutely not. But he does provide what we need. So we have the wayside, we have the rocky ground, we have the thorny ground, but aren't you glad for the good ground, the good soil, the good heart. And the Bible says, you know what, there's some good ground. There's some hearts who are ready to receive the word of God. And when that seed falls on that good soil, it will produce Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. 
And the point here is not that some were not what they should have been, like with the parable of the talents and the minas that we read in the other parts of the Gospels. Jesus is saying this, a person who receives the word of God is going to bear fruit. It's going to happen. Forget about the thorns. Forget about the stony ground and the wayside. Thank God for the good soil. Those who hear the word of God, those who understand it, and those who put it into practice. So I guess God has some better seed to sow on the good soil. Is that what it said? No. Same seed, good soil. Now, by the way, my dad has someone farm his ground now. And I laughed at him last year because he's making better money now than he did when he farmed himself. Not doing any work except receiving his hand out for the paycheck. But here's what I found out. There are a lot of different factors that affect the yield of a crop. But the focus Jesus has here is not on the yield, but his focus is on the soil that made any yield at all possible. That's it. And we ought to be continually calling our hearts that we would have a heart receptive to God's word. So we can be fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. How much time we got left, Alan? Wow, I better hurry, hadn't I? Let's apply it. Church, let's become rooted in God's word and in God's ways. Let's all stand together. Thank you so much for coming. Next week, Matthew chapter 13 will be in verses 24 through 52. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the seed of your word. And God, thank you for sowing it into our hearts. We love you so much and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless each one of you.